As you may or may not recall, last week's episode of Old Town New World paused in the middle of our conversation with attorney Chris Clark. We're going to pick back up here and shift gears away from bands and music and into intellectual property and general law around ownership of ideas. Thanks for tuning in. fascinating area where we've represented some clients and done some really interesting deals is uh, spinning off startups and new technologies out of universities huh. and cool. and most major universities and, and a lot of non-major universities have a department called their tech transfer department um, and tech transfer technology transfer is the department within the university where if you're a professor at this university, and you discover or invent something really cool, you're supposed to notify the tech transfer department so that they can help you file a patent to, to get a patent protection for on it. For your own benefit, uh, or for the university. It's really owned by the university. If you invent it in the course of your research Boy, or I employment. Bet is, um, I bet that the laws around that are cum cumbersomely, clunkily slow to innovation well, it is for, for a number of reasons, and I think your instinct is good on that because, um, you know, you have some extremely bright, creative people who have chosen the academic setting as the place to spend their profession. And, again, to carry forward stereotypes like we seem to be doing, people who are focused on academia typically are not focused on profit and right. commercialization and things like that. And so that's supposed to be the function of the tech transfer department. Right. Give us your creation. We'll take it, we'll protect it, and we'll commercialize it. We'll find suitable commercialization paths for all these cool things that are discovered at universities. Interestingly, the statistics are that University tech transfer departments, believe it or not, are really, really bad at doing what at doing that. And well, I, that doesn't I wanna, surprise me, to be honest. And it, it shouldn't. Yeah. But but what made me think of that is a conversation I had with a director at a tech transfer department, who I was representing a potential commercialization partner for this university. Our client would have been a great partner for the university to come in, license their technology, and let our client commercialize it. But we couldn't come to any kind of reasonable business terms on this deal. And I kept going back to this guy at the university saying, this is what your university stands to make if this is successful. If you don't license it to anybody, you stand to make zero. It's a guarantee. And he said to me, our mission is education, it's not profit. Right. And so I think at I think it depends on the university department whether there is that pressure you were talking well, about how, to I mean how do you create a middle ground is such an interesting thing. I mean, it's like technology incubators are the same problem. I mean ultimately technology incubators have always failed because they turn into real estate projects. And real estate projects can't be successful when they're run by people who don't make profit from selling real estate. I mean, you can't, you know, incentives drive organizations forward. And, and people that are accountable who, you know, go, can't sleep at night because they're worried about, like, getting a paycheck 
I mean, taking home enough money to pay their mortgage are the people who make things happen. And so, you know, that you can't manufacture entrepreneurism in an environment where someone's elected to a committee and they get paid to do something else and this is just a volunteer situation and they're going to roll off the committee in two years. That is not the... That is the opposite, by definition, of what entrepreneurism is. Entrepreneurism is so wrapped up in risk that you can't you can't separate the two. You can't be in a completely non-risk environment and be an entrepreneur. Yeah. You know, I, I just fundamentally believe that that's true. What one what one area of my practice that that is very applicable to is I I, I have represented in the past some clients in the gaming industry, really gambling. They call it gaming because it right. sounds better than gambling, but gambling. it's yeah. um and, and particularly online gaming. Yeah. But um there still is a very uh, widely held aversion, although it's becoming less and less, but there's still a very widely held aversion in our country against legal gambling. Right, yeah. Because people perceive that it is immoral or that it attracts a certain undesirable type of person right, and things yeah. like that. And, and philosophically, there's a lot of things that we all do in society that can are very analogous to gambling. Yeah. And a startup is, I think, somewhat analogous in that you hear a lot of times when you hear people talk about startups and people starting businesses that one of the best bets you can make is bet on yourself. Right. And so while you're not leaving everything to chance like you might be if you're buying a lottery ticket or playing a, 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 a slot machine, you are taking a big risk. Oh, absolutely. And you are There's making a only bet. so much that you can control. Exactly. But that, but that though, is a philosophical spectrum that people have that wraps into their religion and their worldview or whatever mm-hmm. in terms of how much control that you have. I mean, you know, some people believe you absolutely have no control. Some people believe you have total control. And I, I imagine that the truth is somewhere probably, in between. Yeah, but, but, um, but you know, you at least can affect your outcome by if you have to stay up all night and work on it. If you have to. Uh, fire somebody, if you have to shut down your office and move back into your house, if you have to sell your cars, if you have to take out a second mortgage on your home, like, you know, you, you know, can, it, are there ways, if people say, well, there's no way I could do that, well, that's a statement of luxury. Yes. And, and I, and, 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 you know, and I say that on a plateau of luxury, but, but I mean, and, you know, you can take that to the extreme of people that live in conditions where they're starving and they, you know, you know. We take so many things on assumption of like what we have to have, what we, the amount of security we have to have, the amount of this we have to have. And I think the entrepreneur is willing to risk a lot of things that the comfortable person is not willing to risk. But then when you look at the unemployed comfortable person, they start to think, well, who's going to swoop in and provide me this? If the sharp reality hits, like maybe, maybe I'm not entitled to some other smart people who've created an institution and have created a role and a cog and a, and a lever for me to pull to come along and walk me to that lever and show me how to pull. Maybe I'm not entitled to that. Like, what am I going to do yeah. if nobody shows up and hands me a lever to pull? You know, and that's it's, what you were talking about earlier. It is. It's when, very well said. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, so, I mean, those people are trying to come up with an idea, engage, whatever, and, and I mean, I, you know, I deal with some legal things that, I, that blow my mind. Some tax, Me too. yeah, I'm sure, <laughs> dude. Some tax things, some legal things, like the the state laws around W two versus 1099. I'm like, man, you know, to no one's fault. Those are so outdated. 
because we are Florence of the Renaissance. We are a bunch of creative people that have been thrown into these villages that are trying to figure out how to work together in contracting ways. We're shaking each other's hands and passing money back and forth, and we're inventing shit. Excuse yeah. my language, but that's what we're doing. And so this paradigm where that was invented in the early 1900s, where we believe that the government's role is to protect the employee from the employer, like the employee is some type of helpless, ignorant, potential victim of the super wealthy barren, you know, like employer, is so outdated. You know, at Rev and Flow, I'm the employer, they're the employee, we all sit around and hang out together. We're all working <laughs> together. You know what I mean? Like, I, they don't need protection from me by the government, you know? So you mean you come down from your cushy office oh, yeah. every once in a while to hang out with your employees? <laughs> yeah, I do. Occasionally. <laughs> Occasionally. Uh, but I know, wear thick shoes. You know, it's it's interesting because there's a balance, right? There has to be. Yeah. And, and your, your perception, based on what you just said, is that right now, due to some outdated ways of thinking, the balance is sort of unfairly weighed against the employer. Right. Is that fair to say? Well, I don't know if it's unfairly weighed against. I In favor of the employee. I guess, yes, yes, yes. It, that's how it's, that's the paradigm of thinking. And, but see, what's, what's interesting to me about that is if you were to assemble around this table people from various European countries, France in particular. Oh yeah, they'd be like, oh yeah. They would be shocked that you would say such a thing because their society is so heavily, in my opinion, favored toward the employee. Yeah. Well, I think that the dichotomy between the two and that there's almost this kind of like negotiated peace ceasefire between these warring factions, the whole paradigm is off. In the new economy, we're not even warring factions. Like, right. We, we are we right. Yeah, we are a group of people agreeing as consenting adults to try to kind of co-create our jobs as a group of people. And now that's different. If I was, if I bought a uh, gas station or car wash, and I'm working with a hiring a lot of folks from a lower socioeconomic that don't have the benefit of education or access or the banking system or the legal system, I'm talking about educated these guys. These guys around this table that are as smart as I am, that we are agreeing as adults to do this Could work together. walk in anywhere in this region and be hired instantly without even a resume. Right, so so I don't think the government needs to be involved in our relationship. Uh, I mean, to a certain extent. I, I think to a certain extent that's true. I think to a certain extent that's true. Um, I haven't really thought about this issue a lot, so I'm not sure where I would come down on it, although, like you, I am an employer, right? And uh, there are people that work for me and whose payroll I've got to make sure that I meet. And and I will tell you, my thinking on certain parts of life and business changed when I assumed that role. Right. Well, it's funny. I always get you know my uh, conservative, m much more conservative, like father and brother and uncle and all this crowd who I respect very much and love dearly and they are my, you know, confidants and my friends, they always picked on me for being, quote, liberal. I was like, you know, the liberal from yeah. always being a punk band. You had shirts that had giant in racism. I yeah. had, like, you know, pro-gay. I'd wear shirts to the dinner table that said, like, I heart gays, you know, like, just to kind of, like, throw in their face that right. I am socially liberal and awesome. Well, um, like, they, they're always their counter-argument was, 
that I don't understand because I've never had, yeah. I've never been there. Well, now that I've started run, run and maintain my own business, I make payroll, I do everything, and I and I pay the government a ton of money, and I navigate all that stuff. I'm still very socially liberal, <laughs> and it blows their minds. You know. And so I I I have never had. Uh, very many philosophical or political discussions with my law partners. Okay. So I don't really know where I fall on the spectrum, but my strong assumption is I'm I'm probably the most socially liberal or progressive right. person at, at my firm. Um, but you know, it's interesting that we segued into this from, from a discussion about labor because labor issues don't always really fall exactly on liberal or conservative or Democrat, right. uh, Republican type lines because right. you have a lot of very... Um, socially conservative individuals who are, for example, union members, which is very pro-labor. And so it's a complicated issue. It's a very complicated issue. I just think that, like, I don't agree with, you know, pretty much, I never agree with anybody who's on TV yelling, whether they're liberal or conservative. It's pretty guaranteed that if you're on TV yelling, I probably don't agree with anything you're saying. Well, for, for me, the same can be said about anybody who always agrees with Someone. Oh right, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. I love and, them. I always agree with them. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. you know, for 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 me, there are lots of people who are government figures or political figures or philosophical or social leaders or activists that I really um, admire and respect and feel like I think the same way they do. Right. But um, I will guarantee you there will be things we will disagree about. Oh, of course. Yeah. And so I just. I, for, for me, my person yelling on TV, the person that really bugs me is the person who just, it's almost like they've, they've gifted their ability to think for themselves over to someone else. Right, yeah, 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 yeah that's an interesting phenomenon in our society. I, you know, I let guess... Me, let me circle back to something real quick because when I thought about the new economy and, and, and started talking about the legal industry, I wanted to make sure that, that I share this, partly because it contains a prediction. Okay. And if my prediction comes true, I want to have it documented All right, let's somewhere. let's do it, let's do it. Okay, so, hold on, wait, put on your, okay, your hat looks good. All right, yeah, go okay, ahead. Thank you. I have my on, prognosticator hat yeah. on. Um, <laughs> hold on, let me shine your medallion. All right, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, so I think part of what is happening with the introduction of LegalZoom and other self-help legal resources there being a flood of too many lawyers into the market. What I think all of that, the effect that I think all of that is having, and also the fact that the legal industry is mature now. And so what happens a lot of times in mature industries, I think there's a downward pressure on price. And when I started practicing law, oh, these 14 years ago, um, particularly at the kind of firm that I went to, it was almost as if fees just weren't even discussed. Right. It was sort of almost tacky to discuss fees with a client. The client was just expected to pay, it, sign the engagement letter and pay the invoice when it shows up. Right. And the invoice might be 5000 or maybe 20000 or who knows. Right. Just, we're, you're privileged to have us working for you, right. so just pay. Right. And you would never think to compete with another law firm on price. Right. If someone ever came in and said, oh, well, I talked to this other law firm and they said they would do it for half that, 
you would just turn your nose up. I mean, that's just an offensive thing to say because we're us and you, if you want us, you pay for what you pay. And so I think nowadays it's very different. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, one reason that I'm not sitting in a tall building uptown anymore and I don't have a big staff and I don't spend a ton on marketing collateral materials and all these kind of things is because um, I want to be able to price myself into the type of client I want to work for. Right, yeah. And so... Now, having said that, no, no uh, specialist can win leading on price. But there are categories of price. Absolutely. I mean, if you if you are just completely priced out of me ever being able to engage with you, then you're just a non-option from the very beginning. Completely. Right. Completely. And and so, so here comes the prediction part. All right. In our country, there are dozens, maybe maybe hundreds, but certainly dozens of mega law firms that have lawyers. At the mid and upper levels, billing five, six, seven hundred, eight hundred dollars an hour yeah. routinely, yeah. and they have offices that they pay a very expensive amount of rent for, so that they can have a giant conference room that overlooks the bay or whatever it is, and um, it's just a very, it's a beast that needs to be fed all the time and that business model cannot survive without those lawyers billing those very high hourly rates and a lot a lot a lot of hours and I think that the legal consumer is gradually is right now in the process we're right in the middle of it of becoming smarter about how to spend their legal dollar And I hope I'm right about that because I think um, firms like ours could potentially benefit because I think we could potentially pick up some of the clients that are priced or that discover they can get quality work for less. Whereas in the past, this idea of we're going to switch law firms because we can get a better price, eh, that's just not that's not a way people would think, particularly businesses would think. Whereas I think now it is. Yeah, no, I hear that. that. Um, And so my prediction is. These very old, in some cases, hundreds of lawyer, very expensive law firms, I think are in big trouble. I think that is a, a, a type of business that potentially in 10 or 20 years we may see either adapts and looks very different or goes away. Well, you know, to me, that's tied to the same conversation we're talking about, about the government being involved in two adults deciding to work together. For example, if you and I, if, if you know a lot about law, and I am working on a project, and I need help on, on filing a trademark and getting my privacy statement for my app and all this stuff, you know, the stuff that I've actually literally hired before. Right. I mean, and I come to you because I trust you, I like you, and I, I believe that you know that stuff and you know what you're doing. And what I'm hiring, what I'm really hiring is a team. I need a guy. Right. I need a guy who can, like, you know, come and rip the fence out of my yard, and I need a guy who can handle this legal issue I'm dealing with with this That's app right. that I'm developing. That's right. You know what I mean? And, you know, the guy who's ripping the fence out is a little cheaper, but... <laughs> 
but you know, depends on how big the fence is. Yeah, right. Depends on the fence. Yeah, but so like to me, it's about I need a guy. So why should I have some nameless corporate entity involved? It's the same thing as why do I need the government involved when Micah and I decide to work together and I'm going to pay him X amount for his time and he's happy to be doing it and we're shaking hands and we're both happy. Yeah. Like wh- why is Uncle Sam? show up and be like, hey, drop his keys off in a bowl and be like, I'm ready to rock and roll. <laughs> you know, so the, the, you know, the same thing is true with like, if I'm trying to work with you and I feel like there's this corporate entity involved that yeah, is inflating yeah. the kind of the process, the bureaucracy, the cost and everything of what we're doing, when I'm just trying to like hire you to help me solve this problem. Now there, of course, is always a cost of doing business and that cost of doing business is, you know, if you're going to run a good business, you're going to have infrastructure cost and that cost has to be passed on and you have to make a profit and and so you never get anything good at, at high quantities at the cost of just that what that individual can do you know we hire contractors all the time and for a while we can we get that individual based on the cost of that individual that they need to take personally and then if they were to turn into a company that cost would increase none of them are making any more money but I'm paying more money so like I don't need a company, I need a guy. Yeah. You know, so to what I, extent I can I balance those things, you know? But then you just get a guy sometimes and then he's overwhelmed, he can't keep up, he doesn't have process, he, he falls apart, you know, he needs a company. So where's the middle ground? You know? Well, so a couple of couple of thoughts there. I mean one one thing is um, you know, not every employer is Jason and not every employee is Micah. Right. And I think the government probably is a more suitable role when those two parties aren't necessarily as educated, sophisticated, nice, yeah, whatever the word may be. That you, yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I mean, I don't mean to like sound like that I think that the government should go away. I mean, I'm not like, what is that called, libertarian I mean, or anarchist or I don't yeah. know the difference. You go far enough left, you end up right. I don't, I don't know. Libertarian is far right and anarchy is far <laughs> yeah, left and they're the same they're somehow. The same somehow, yeah, right. Either one might have a shotgun, you don't want to go on the property. Exactly. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I don't mean that. I just mean that I think that we have overcomplicated. I think that we have an outdated paradigm when we look at the village economy. Like, you know, you look at, you know, Florence of the Renaissance and you have so many people stepping off boats and contracting with each other. There's so many jobs invented constantly. I need this stack of things moved over there. I need these uh, berries turned into dye. And I need somebody to, to work on it. I need somebody that's smart. I just need, there's no institutional, there's no union, there's no framework, there's no uh, K-12 backing, there's no institute that has a program for it. I just need you as an intelligent person to help me solve this problem. And here, I'll give you this money if you will do it. There's so much of that happening, yeah. there's no way laws can keep up. They can't. I mean, that's the answer. The law, and, and, and you couldn't, and, and, and because we're a nation, we need, or, or even a state, we, we need a set of laws, yeah. and they sort of get applied across the board. So whether you're the the big bad mean employer taking advantage of the uneducated worker, or whether you're Jason and Micah, you have sort of the same set of laws that you operate under. And uh, I, I agree with you that it's outdated and maybe doesn't really work perfectly for either population right, of right, people. Right. Well, I guess we're doing the best we can. <laughs> yeah. No, interesting thing talking about the 
new economy and uh, and, and and lawyers and law firms. Think about this. The predominant way that lawyers bill is still by the hour. Right. Um, and there's been a big effort over the last 10 years to move away from that. And our firm has been successful in that at times. You know, there are things like filing trademark applications where we know exactly how long it's going to take us and what the filing fee is, and we can quote a flat fee for that. And I think people like that. Um, you certainly like it more than just hiring somebody and wondering how many hours they're going to spend and what the bill's going to say. But if you think about it from the law, per law firm's perspective, if you have a team of people that bill by the hour, the more valuable team members are those who are the least efficient at what they do. So you're like disincentivized to be to efficient. To be fast. Yeah. And couple that with, if you're an associate in a law firm, so basically these days, like the first seven, eight, nine, ten years that you work there, you have billable hour requirements that you have to meet. So not only is it in the firm's financial interest for you to take longer, right. it's in your personal interest to take longer because you got a quota you have to right, yeah. And so that's, I think, part of just what supports my idea that we got to figure out a better way and that those big law firms that operate on that model are not going to You know, that's really interesting. We, we talk about that a lot because we bill by the sure. our whole web team model. Now, the way we, the way I kind of see it is, and the way I've justified it, and I think that it's good for everybody is, and again, it comes down to if you're going to approach it well-intendedly and working hard. And the way I think about it is this. If, if, if you're going to buy from us like a website, quote-unquote, well, a website's not a pair of shoes. It's not like it's already sitting there and you can just grab it. There are so many unknowns, so many options, so many choices, so many things that could happen, so many things that you could just, you can control or not control, whatever. If we have a price, then we're on the opposite side of a table from the very beginning, whether we like it or not. I'm trying to do as little for that money as I can, and you're trying to get as much for that money as you can. We're have our arms crossed we're on the opposite side of the table. So now, if you hire an employee, you're work, you're on the same side of the table. You're working toward the same goal, and y'all are both trying to knock it out best you can. Now, if they are an inefficient and poor employee, you're going to have to just fire them. Right. So what we've gone with is we want to be your team like we're your employee. While we're working on your stuff, we want to be your employees. If we are inefficient and poorly delivering employees, you should fire us. <laughs> but if we're doing good, we're going to spend one hour and create $10,000 worth of value. We're going to spend another hour and we're going to create a dollar worth of value because we, we had to redo something we broke or something. But either way, the overall outcome has to be valuable or not valuable. Absolutely. And, and you can't you can't emphasize enough the value of A, repeat business, and B, referrals, yeah. which are huge in my industry and I assume in yours oh, as well. Yeah, and you don't get either of those by um, doing as little as possible. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's my philosophy. So, you know, so here we have, you know, we are a uh, creative design firm kind of marketing business, you know, Redflow is. But we have to function by what we bring of value. A lot of people are creative, you know. A lot of people love to make movies or love to design in Photoshop or love to write code. What we bring is an organization and a process that actually, uh, you know, understands a need and delivers an outcome that is worth more than money to the person on the other side. So you have to do the same thing. I mean, Absolutely. you can study law all day long, but the entrepreneur in you has to say, what can I do for Jason? that he's gonna be happy to give me money, 
because it's worth more than his money to him. You know what I mean? So running a business is like above and beyond the actual thing that you do. There's you know? no question, and it shocks me how often I run across people who don't get that. Right. Um, and thankfully, I have uh, I've reached a stage in my career where when I have clients across the table that are trying to get as much as possible for little as possible and, and every little thing they sort of begrudge us our fees right. and that sort of thing, I'm able to say it's just not a good fit. Yeah. And luckily for those people, there are first and second year Charlotte School of Law grads yeah. out there that are charging $20 an hour and they yeah. go hire them. But you do get what you pay for and that's, yeah. you know, just, there's, it sounds so cliche, but, but it really true, is man. true. Yeah, yeah. Well, Chris, man, this has been great. I appreciate you being here. And I, I, I've probably stopped 12 of your trains of thought. I, I tend to explode your trains of thought because you get me excited when you start talking about some aspect of law or something. So. Man, the, what I, what's going to happen, I'm going to be in the car driving home and I'm going to remember a bunch of stuff that I <laughs> meant to say. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to grab my phone and I'm going to start recording it. I'm going to yeah, expect you, you to edit it in. Oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be like, and you should think about <laughs> in Rock Hill. Was that a train? I don't know. <laughs> so we should we should just summarize that Jason hates the government and thinks there should be no employment laws. <laughs> That's not true, man. That's not true. It's funny, you know, it's funny, like when I talk to people who are liberally minded about the subject, I, I am perceived as being conservative. When I talk to people who are conservative, I'm, I'm perceived as being liberal. And it's like one thing that I do respect about like the people who are either anarchists or libertarians or whatever is that they don't fit into those molds. Like they have so many contradictions that seem conservative and liberal at the same time. And I, I just feel myself to be the same way. Like I don't ever think about if something is liberal or conservative. I don't ever like I just think about does it make sense yeah. that you know um, that if if Micah if I provide Micah's computer, then we have to be. Uh, a different categorization according to the state. It's like, what's the freaking difference? I mean, you know, if we agree to it, like, who cares? So, you know, I'm all about um, social progress, yeah. and I, I believe, like, I'm, a, I am a, uh, I'm very happy, and I am very uh, desirous to celebrate the, you know, decisions that have come down this week about, uh, you know, homosexual marriage and all this. I think it's a wonderful thing Me for too. our society and the world. Um, so in that way, I guess people could say I'm, you know, I'm liberal, and I'm glad that the government intervened on the behalf of the rights of the minority to protect that as an equal right. And so I see role of government. Well, but in a way, the government intervened to remove government, government from, from the. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> if there was no government, they could have just gotten married exactly. anyway. Yeah. That's, right. That's okay. That is a great example. That's what I mean. It's like there's a that we have a bad habit of. Forming an organization that creates a problem, and then forming an organization that solves that problem that they created. You know, we have a lot of uh, fat in the system in that sense. I agree. Yeah, we really do. So, all right. So, sorry, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to interrupt your train while you were wrapping up. No, so. you're good. Okay. So, what I see, it's funny in the creative services marketplace and the new kind of cultural, you know, kind of culturally liberal, culturally progressive economy where you're seeing all these startups happening. You know, people are having to approach kind of traditional arenas like law and uh, you know, finance and CPA. But they need approachable people that are tapped into kind of where the new economy is. And I think that's where it is such a 
good role for people like yourself to bridge the gap of this. And I do the same thing, man, if you think about it. Because, like, the businesses hire me because I talk business. Definitely. But what they're hiring me to do is manage a bunch of extremely creative people to create creative outcomes. You know what it's I mean? True. It's a great, it's, you, you, I get that comparison. I agree with it. Absolutely. So, well, anyway, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. It's been and, a pleasure. Uh, yeah. And Micah, uh, very wise what you said earlier about the things you said. And uh, any follow-up on that? Well said, well said. David, anything for you? Awesome. Well played, friend. I actually do have one question. This, this is completely unrelated, and we can edit this out. But um, uh, I was just curious if you guys, like when you were working with music law, did you ever use like statistical analysis to determine whether or not a song could be like... If, if it could be a, if it could be a coincidence, like yeah. was there analysis of that, like with numbers or anything like? That? I've I have never done a. I have never worked on a music copyright case that where where it was unclear whether one song infringed on the other. Either it was absolutely clear that it was a copy. So no, I haven't, and it's probably fascinating how those people do it. I don't know. I, I think it's less scientific than that, though. Yeah. I, my, my feeling is, it's sort of like what the Supreme Court said about pornography. You know what? You know it's right. hard to define, but you know it when you see it. Or like what Vanilla Ice said about uh, Ice Ice Baby. Dun 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 dun. dun, dun. Very, Neil, follow up. Um, no, that was awesome. I enjoyed it as an audience member. Well said. Thank you for telling our audience what to think, Neil. <laughs> yes. I think Vanilla, I, I think if you can edit in Ice Ice Baby over the, sort of as an outro for this, <laughs> I encourage you to do that. And if anyone comes after you for infringement, I'll, I'll defend you free charge. Okay, thank you, thank you. Ours is actually dun 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 dun, dun <laughs> which is completely different. All right, I guess we'll see you next week on Old Town New World. Bye. <laughs>